This is The Plural of You, a podcast about people helping people. I'm Josh Morgan. I'm a sociologist and a writer, and I use this podcast to share stories from people who are making a difference in the lives of others, people like you and me. Amanda Painter is a food allergy advocate from Maryville, Tennessee, and the Director of Education and Development at FACET, a nonprofit organization that assists families managing food allergies on the eastern side of her state. FACET has only been active for a few years, but its projects are making a huge difference in raising food allergy awareness. Their most well-known project so far has been the Teal Pumpkin Project, a campaign that seeks to make Halloween safe for trick-or-treaters with dietary restrictions. I talked with Amanda recently about FACET, about the Teal Pumpkin Project, and her experiences as a food allergy advocate, and I'll play our conversation in a moment. I contacted FACET mostly to talk about the Teal Pumpkin Project, but I was surprised by how much I learned from Amanda about issues surrounding food allergies. She told me that food allergy cases have practically doubled over the last 20 years or so, which doesn't surprise me, but I didn't expect that social problems related to these conditions are also increasing. For example, we talked about how kids with food allergies can face isolation and bullying. Then there are conflicts from those who resist changing school menus because they don't understand how severe food allergies can be. That's why I'm glad I found out about FACET. They're working to draw attention to food allergies and to untangle the uncertainties around them. The Teal Pumpkin Project is but one of FACET's initiatives, and I encourage you to read more about it and try it out. It might not be a big deal to you, but it can mean a lot to the children in your neighborhood who struggle with food allergies and the anxieties that come with those. Here's Amanda Painter, Director of Education and Development at FACET. Hi, Amanda. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. So how was your week? It was great. I actually spent the week at Disney World with my family and just got back yesterday. Oh, well, that was fun. Yes. So if you wouldn't mind, would you tell me about FACET and what services you provide? Sure. So FACET is focused on food allergies, and we work to raise awareness and share education and work on advocacy all within that realm. We're a nonprofit, and we really work on that within two capacities. And one is the outreach, and that is working on community awareness, educational presentations, and that type of activity. And then the other piece of it is working with the individuals and the families that are managing food allergies. And we offer them support and education through support group meetings, one-on-one mentoring, workshops, and food-free children's activities. Okay. What are the major problems that you and FACET are looking to address? Food allergies can be incredibly difficult to manage, um, especially initially after diagnosis. And it can affect physical and emotional health and can greatly impact the social aspect of someone's life. And proper management can take a while to learn everything you need to. And often that's more than can be taught in one doctor's appointment. So that's where we kind of step in after that is helping these individuals manage those issues and problems. We're able to help them learn their proper prevention steps and how to always be prepared for an emergency. And we're also able to help those in the community that care for children or assist other adults that have food allergies so that they can do that properly as well. Okay. So how common are food allergies? I know there are different ones. Would you be able to describe some of the more frequent ones? Sure. 
food allergies are a growing problem, which is probably part of the reason we're talking about this today. It's getting a lot more media presence and there are more studies that come out and more statistics. So the most recent statistic is that there are 15 million Americans with food allergies and 6 million of those are children. And it is disproportionate to more children having them. And the most recent CDC numbers share with us that there was a 50% increase in children with food allergies from 1997 to 2011. So we are seeing a huge uptick in this. Oh, I didn't know that. The top eight most common allergies in the United States are milk, soy, egg, wheat, peanut, tree nut, shellfish, and fish. So those are what are commonly referred to as the top eight. However, you can be allergic to any food, and there are 170 different foods that have documented causing allergic reactions. Mm, Okay. What allergies do you find yourself talking with people about the most? Peanut and tree nut allergies are the most common, and especially the ones that we deal with. But often with younger children, we see a lot of milk and egg allergies. Milk and egg are the ones that are most common to be outgrown. It's not a guarantee that they will be outgrown, but they are more common. So there are a lot more younger children that have those, and hopefully over time we'll outgrow those. So we deal with mentoring a lot of families that have young children, younger elementary and toddlers, and down from there that have milk and egg allergies. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if it was common for allergies to be outgrown, but it sounds like some can and some can't. And it it, it varies in... Those numbers kind of are always changing, but milk and egg are most often outgrown. But again, it's not a guarantee. Um, Peanut, tree nut, fish and shellfish are less likely to be outgrown, but there are still cases where that does happen. Now, I'm also curious about severe food allergies. Are those more widespread than the public may know about? Like, are there more people with severe food allergies that might cause like anaphylactic shock? Yes. And because that, that's something I wasn't aware of, I guess, until I discovered you and your work. Yes. And those numbers that I mentioned earlier from the CDC are for those that are reporting a severe food allergy. So, oh, okay. Often we think of peanuts and maybe tree nuts when we think about severe food allergies, but it can truly be anything. Um, as, as I mentioned, milk and egg, they are also likely to cause anaphylaxis. Since they aren't the top ones, they aren't the ones that are reported to having those reactions as often, but there are documented cases of anaphylaxis and fatalities to any of those top eight that I mentioned, as well as any other food. Okay. Now, what can life be like for somebody that is dealing with a severe food allergy? It can be challenging, and it's incredibly overwhelming at the point of diagnosis until you really get your footing and realize what you're dealing with. It can affect emotional health of the individual and the caregiver, which is often what we deal with a lot with parents that have an infant or a toddler that's just been diagnosed. And emotional problems can range from fear and anxiety to some social isolation and depression. Sometimes there can be marital or family tension, depending on what the circumstances of the family are. Oh, wow. There could be, depending on what the allergies are, some nutritional deficiency. Sometimes we'll see infants and toddlers and young children that have a hard time with proper weight gain due to their restricted diet. And this is especially common with those that have a milk allergy. There's a lot of time and money spent with doctor's appointments and testing and buying epinephrine auto injectors, which are expensive. 
And this can place a burden on the family, which sometimes can lead to those marital problems. What do those injectors help with? The epinephrine auto injector is the only medication that can reverse a severe anaphylactic reaction. Okay. So if you are diagnosed with a severe food allergy that has the potential for anaphylaxis, you must have your epinephrine auto injectors with you at all times. And those are expensive depending on your insurance. And you need to have at least one set with you at all times. And they have to be replaced when they expire, which is usually about every 12 to 15 months. So this is a cost that is incurred every year for these families. Mm -hmm. So how have food allergies affected you or your family? I have a child with multiple life-threatening food allergies. As I mentioned, for others, it was the same for us. It was very challenging at the very, at the beginning. It was overwhelming, and it took some time to get a firm diagnosis of all of the foods that she was allergic to down, and for us to make sure she had proper weight gain, and a lot of time to really be fully educated so that we could be managing it confidently. When her first reaction happened, you know, I had no idea at that point in time that my life was going to forever change. And I was wondering what that process was like. It's it affects every day of our life and every meal and snack has to be planned ahead of time. Spontaneity really isn't doable for our family. And with her allergen set, we make the majority of her food at home from scratch. And a lot of time researching food products to find what is safe for her and what isn't and contacting manufacturers. And there's a lot of emails and phone calls and meetings with school and friends to make sure anytime she's outside of my care that she's properly cared for. Lots of planning and preparation. I see. How old is your daughter now? She will be six next week. Okay. How did you get involved with FACET? I became involved after my daughter had her diagnosis. I started looking for local organizations to see if there was someone who was out there doing something in this close by to me. And FACET was just in the beginning stages at that point in time. and was really just some people getting together for a support group meeting. So I started going to those and I have some background with volunteer work and nonprofit board development. So it was a good fit. And with anything in my life, especially when it has come to food allergies, I feel that finding something to be positive and productive with is a really good place to put my energy and my time instead of allowing all of that extra time to be spent on dwelling on the negative and the worry and the anxiety. Oh, that's a good point. I wouldn't have thought of that. So what is your role at FACET? Like, what's a typical week like for you? I have a few different roles. We serve the entire East Tennessee region, and one of my roles is, is a chapter coordinator, which is for my county and a few neighboring counties. So for that, I serve as the go-to support person for everyone in, that, in those counties. So I facilitate and plan support group meetings and other workshops for these individuals, as well as educational presentations for educators or organizations in that region. I also work as the Director of Education and Development. So with that, I work on developing and writing educational materials and presentations that's used by all of FACET's leadership team when promoting awareness and education. So I found out about you and FACET because of the Teal Pumpkin Project. So I was wondering if you could describe that project. Yes, the Teal Pumpkin Project is a Halloween project that works to promote a safer and happier Halloween for all kids. The concept is that you would paint a pumpkin teal 
Or more simply, you could just print out a sign with a teal pumpkin on it and have that on your front porch on Halloween. And that is to signify that you have non-food treats available for children that are trick-or-treating that have dietary restrictions. This by no means says don't hand out any candy, but you know, hand out whatever you normally hand out, buy your favorite Halloween candy, but also buy a few items that are non-food. So when that child does happen to come to your door, they still get something that they can take home and enjoy that night. What are some non-food items that you would recommend? The list can be very long and expansive. So stickers, particularly popular are glow sticks and glow bracelets, anything that glows. The children really enjoy those on Halloween night. Rings, vampire teeth, crayons, bouncy balls, all kinds of things. Okay, so toys. Yes. Okay. So where did the idea for the Teal Pumpkin Project come from? The Teal Pumpkin Project was actually started by Facet's founder, Becky Bassalone. She started this with her family, with her two boys, and they painted a pumpkin teal and put it on their front porch one year and used it as a conversation starter. And then we promoted the teal pumpkin here locally in East Tennessee. And then last year in 2014, FAIR, which is Food Allergy Research and Education, which is a national food allergy nonprofit, picked up on the idea and asked Becky if they were, if she was okay with them promoting it, which of course we were. And she was happy to have that spread nationwide. So they were able to use they're much larger reach than ours just here in East Tennessee to really spread it across the country. And what's the response been like since FAIR picked up the idea? It's been overwhelmingly positive. A lot of other food allergy advocates, we have quite a network with other leaders in other parts of the country, have been very excited about this. It's a very simple awareness piece that everyone can do and everyone can participate in. You're not asking someone to do something really long or it takes a lot of money or a lot of time. It's something very simple that anyone can participate in. Do you have any specific stories of families you've helped, for example, or organizations that you've spoken with that you like to think about? I particularly have done a lot of preschool presentations here within the last year. And this has been really rewarding for me because preschools have a little bit of a different aspect of how to manage this versus, say, a public elementary school where there's a school nurse and a director who handles all of these medical issues and can teach everyone how to handle it. Preschools don't have this. So I've had a lot of preschools coming to us asking for help. The preschool age is really important because oftentimes these families are just learning about diagnosis and they're a little bit in flux and leaving your child with someone. And trusting that they're going to care for them correctly is really hard. So it's really great to be able to leave those preschools and know that they're doing a good job and that they care about it. Yeah, that could be scary. I I never considered that. It can be quite difficult. And on the flip side of that, that's a lot of our mentoring with the individuals is when it comes time to take their child to preschool or elementary school or any type of transition like that where they're having to let go and they've got to trust someone else to care for their child. Mm-hmm. Now, have you or has FACET been involved in any policy decisions in the area? We were supportive and helped somewhat in some Tennessee legislation that happened in 2013, which was the passage of a voluntary stock epinephrine program for schools. So this did not mandate that schools had to stock epinephrine, but it did say that they voluntarily could do this. And stock epinephrine would be 
having these epinephrine auto injectors on hand at school that are undesignated. So it would not be a particular child's prescription. These auto injectors would be there for if a child forgot their auto injector at home or didn't have a diagnosis but had a reaction at school so that these are on hand so that the child can be treated at school and they don't have to just sit there and not do anything until emergency services arrive. Just to clarify, was there something preventing schools from stocking those injectors before? Epinephrine auto injectors are only available with a prescription. So before this legislation passed, you cannot write a prescription to anyone but the individual. Okay. So now that this legislation has passed, the prescription can be written to a school so that it's undesignated. Okay. That makes sense. So how might issues of food allergy awareness affect people who don't have to deal with it on a daily basis? Well, with the numbers growing, odds are that most people know of someone that has a food allergy. And it's important that we support them in some way and help them make healthy choices and make sure they always have their medication with them. But also for those that work in the food and restaurant industry, there needs to be a general understanding about food allergies and how to properly handle food. And if you have that request for an allergen-free meal from whatever allergen that may be, how to properly prepare that and avoid the cross-contact in the kitchen. But then those that care for kids with food allergies, teachers, coaches, church staff, anyone else that cares for children, they need to have the understanding and the knowledge of how to prevent a reaction and How should you be prepared if a reaction does happen? Are there any common misunderstandings about food allergies that you'd like to correct? Like maybe things that you catch in the media that you'd like to address? Yeah, there are several misunderstandings. And this is just part of something that it wasn't that common before. It's becoming more common now. So there's just not as much general information out there and knowledge. But food allergies can be life-threatening. There are still people out there that don't believe that eating the wrong food could truly cause a fatality, and it can. And it's important to know that anaphylaxis is unpredictable. Some people may have a diagnosis and say that they've only had mild symptoms for the 10 times that they've been exposed to that food. But if they have that diagnosis, there still is that risk there of anaphylaxis, and you still have to be prepared. One of the biggest ones that we come across and we're always working to dispel is that antihistamines will not stop a severe reaction. You must use epinephrine to stop a severe reaction. So when I've talked with people in the past about food allergies and food safety, I've noticed that some people can be defensive about limiting food options. Like, for example, I was talking with somebody not long ago. And they mentioned that a school near them had removed peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, from their menu because of peanut butter. And they seemed to bring it up to complain about it. So I was wondering, how do you help people understand that some foods need to be managed to help those with food allergies? The banning peanut butter in schools is a very hot topic, and it's a very controversial one on both sides. And It's just important to remember this is something that is life-threatening. And if you're being asked to refrain from a certain food, there is a legitimate reason for that. And no one would want their child to be the cause of another child having a life-threatening reaction. Right. Or to have their child watch their friend have a life-threatening reaction. But on the other side of that, with the peanut butter bans in a lot of schools, 
I would say that there are a lot of ways that we can prevent reactions without banning something 100%. We worked really to promote more that we need to have allergen-free classrooms. Children need to be able to focus on their education and not be worried about did the snack at the desk next door get on the floor or is somebody touching their school supplies with peanut butter on their hands or whatever it may be. So we really work more that let's eat in the cafeteria and let's keep the classroom allergen free. But then in the cafeteria, let's just work on steps to keep that child with whatever allergies away from the food, but in a proper way without isolating them. Some schools will sit them at a different table and peanut butter works a little bit differently this way than other allergens. So if you're only managing a peanut butter or peanut allergy, peanut butter is the main issue. And you could have kids that bring peanut butter sit on one side of the table and the child with a peanut butter allergy sit on the other end of the table. That's a pretty easy way to do it. And then have the kids wash their hands after lunch and then everybody can go about their day and be fine. But when you start talking about banning foods completely, it gets incredibly difficult when you start looking at the other allergens. It's virtually impossible to ban egg and soy and milk from a cafeteria. Seems that way. So it's really more about finding those prevention steps, good hand washing, some strategic seating in the cafeteria, teaching children that have food allergies how they can self-manage. Don't touch anybody else's food. Don't let anybody else touch your food. Really good supervision when they're in the younger grades and don't quite have that impulse control down yet. Um, But then also teaching their peers. This is such a big part of this. We need to teach their peers how to support them and why you don't share food, and why you've got to wash your hands afterwards, because they don't want their friends to be sick. And if we start this at a young age, then we will really help build a more supportive culture that as they get older, there won't be the bullying, and they won't be the person that's so resistant to not eating a particular food at a particular time. You know, I hadn't considered that these allergies could result in like isolation and bullying. And that's, that's really the most common concern of parents of children in elementary, middle school, because, you know, if someone brings in cupcakes one day, their child doesn't have one. Oh, yeah. And it's a school policy that their child sit at a table by themselves at lunch so that they don't come in contact with their allergies. So there's better ways to do this. And it takes a lot of work and a big team approach with the school on how to keep the child safe, but you've got to keep them included at the same time. Does your work overlap with any other types of allergies that aren't involved with food? With food allergies, it's very much highly related with any type of allergy. So environmental allergies and asthma and food allergies and some skin conditions all come together. Many people that have food allergies are also managing asthma and managing environmental allergies. There's also the concern and likelihood that there could be latex allergies and bee sting or other venom allergies, which both could also be fatal and would be treated with the same epinephrine auto ejectors. Okay. Some of our families that we manage are also managing those other conditions. Do you have any insight as to why allergies in general may be increasing? Oh, that's a very loaded question. Um, <laughs> I know it's a broad, broad question. <laughs> I, I don't have the answer. If I did, um, I'd be a millionaire. No, so <laughs> there are a lot of different theories, and there's a lot of research that's happening right now in finding a cure, but also trying to find the cause. 
And a lot of the general consensus is if it was one specific individual thing that was causing this, that they would have figured that out by now. Oh, right. So the thought is that it is a multitude of environmental things happening, causing changes with our bodies and environmental items that we're coming in contact with that are all kind of culminating together and causing this shift. What do you enjoy most about working with Facet as far as helping other people? I think that that's really it. It's the being able to help other people. Once I had this diagnosis in my family and we went through extensive amount of time of researching and reading and I wanted to be the most knowledgeable I could be without have going to medical school. And once I got to that point and our family was managing confidently and we still have our stressors and items that come up, but we've got it managed and we're doing a good job day to day. I have all of this information and this knowledge and experience now. And I feel like it's really important that I share that with other people that may not have a good support system and may be struggling to really manage this on a day-to-day basis. So it's incredibly rewarding to be able to help these individuals, you know, work through the diagnosis, help them learn how to read food labels and find proper food for their kids. And to make those personal connections and support them along this journey is pretty amazing. It can be pretty emotional, but rewarding to help families cope post-reaction when, you know, they've had a really close call and help them work through their fears and their anxieties and investigate what caused the reaction and develop a plan to move forward. It's pretty rewarding to know that I'm the person that they come to with their challenges. And I take that very seriously that I want to give them accurate information and support them along the way. But it's also incredibly satisfying to know that I'm the person they share their successes with. Oh, that's nice. I get a lot of emails and phone calls and text when, you know, they've tested that they can have a food again and they've passed that in office challenge or their child's starting to learn how to self-manage. And, you know, they never thought their child would say no to somebody handing them a piece of candy, but their kid did. And it's a really big milestone for that family. And they still reach out and they, they let me know those. And, you know, I'll get, I'll get a phone call after a successful meeting at a school with that a parent had before their child's enrolled going, oh my gosh, I was prepared and you helped me do that and everything's going to be okay. So it's challenging and it can be emotional, but we also get the good, really good aspects of it too. So looking forward, what gives you the most hope about issues surrounding food allergies? There's a great amount of research being done for a cure and we still hold on to hope that will happen at some point in time. But in the meantime, The food allergy awareness mission is growing and a lot more people are becoming aware and they're being supportive and we're developing communities that are helping these families instead of being resistant and not understanding and putting up those walls of isolation. So the compassion is really growing and the understanding that these families need support and we can all kind of pitch in and help them. I'm glad to hear that. So. What would be the best way for listeners to follow you or FACET online? For FACET, we have a great website, which is joinfacet.com, J-O-I-N-F-A-C-E-T.com. And while we are based in East Tennessee, that still has just great general food allergy information that would help anybody regardless of where they lived. I did notice that. There was a lot of good information on the site. Did a good job. Thank you. We've got... Great connections with 
some agencies that do research and a lot of the medical-based information. And then we also have a wonderful medical advisor who is a board-certified allergist that really helps us make sure that everything is accurate and reliable information there. Oh, great. Okay. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, which is the same. It's slash join facet on Facebook and Twitter is at join facet. Okay. And then I also write a blog for our organization and the blog is facet advocate. So I'm also on Twitter at facet advocate and okay. the blogs also on our website. And also, we talked about Till Pumpkin Project earlier. For those that want more information specifically about that project, they can go to tillpumpkinproject.org. Okay, great. Is there anything I haven't asked that you would like to talk about? I would say for those that are listening that manage food allergies, please always have your auto injectors with you. They can't save your life if you don't have them with you. It's really important to pass along that teens are at the highest risk of anaphylaxis. And here recently, the fatalities that have been covered by the media have been teenagers that have made a a risky choice with what they ate, and they did not have their epinephrine auto injectors with them. So I just always want to pass that along that they won't, if your doctor prescribes them, then you need to have them with you at all times. And for those that don't manage food allergies, but know someone that does, Encourage them to make those healthy choices and always have their medicine on hand and ask them how how you can support them if an emergency does happen. That way they can be prepared and you can be prepared to help them make those right choices. Okay. Well, that's all I have. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. This has been great. Well, uh, we appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit more awareness and promote the Teal Pumpkin Project in October. Yep. Okay. Well, hope you have a good night. Wonderful. Thank you. This is the Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.